This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Rod Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and this week I'm really delighted to have with me via the magic of the internet Danny Tweek. Danny just tell us uh, where you are in the world. Uh, I'm in Sydney, Australia, and the internet is magic, isn't it? You know, I mean, 15 years ago, we couldn't have done this. Somebody somewhere claims to understand how it works, but it's definitely not me. Exactly. <laughs> no. It's, it's, um, it's a wonderful providence of the Lord, isn't it? And um, uh, Danny, I'm so delighted to have you on the podcast. We've uh, interacted uh, on Twitter and, and various online yeah. platforms uh, for a little while now. And um, the, the sort of prompt uh, for inviting you to speak on the podcast is you have a book uh, that is out, just about out, I think. Yeah, yeah, it came out, it was released on May 9. Perfect. Uh, or as we might say, May the 9th. Um, it's <laughs> called The Meaning of Singleness, uh, and it is uh, published by IVP USA, I think. But it That's is right. available through all good bookshops and um this is the sort of outcome of of work you did your phd thesis on this you have a ministry called single-minded i think that's right Uh, yep you know so this is obviously a subject that is very near and dear to your heart could you just tell us something of your personal background what i mean i'm 49 and i'm single and it's never Mm. occurred to me that this is a thing that I need to spend lots of time studying and writing about and whatever. What what has prompted you to to do this sort of work? Yeah, um, I'm I've just turned well, I've just turned forty five, so I now have to officially think I stay in my mid forties rather than my early forties. I was hanging on to the early forties for as long as I could, but I think I'm officially in my mid forties now. Uh, have never been married. Um, I had expected that I would be married. You know, I, I sort of grew up as a, a teen in youth group thinking which of these blokes at youth group is going to be the one that I marry. Then I went to university and I thought which of the Christian guys in the Christian group is going to be the one that I marry. Then I went to Bible college and I thought which of the guys here is going to, and it just didn't happen. <laughs> I thought, God, what's going on here? And so in all seriousness, I began to have have to grapple with the fact of, well, hang on, it's happened for most of my friends. It hasn't yet happened for me. I better start thinking about that. There's a possibility here that I may never marry. And so personally, I started thinking, well, I need to think a little bit about what the implications of that are for me as a Christian, what it means for me to understand singleness actually being significant in God's eyes and what the opportunities he might have in store for me as a single woman may be. Um, But then a couple of other things also happened uh, in I, I talk in the um, in the preface to my book uh, about sitting in a third year uh, theological ethics lecture at Moore Theological College here in Sydney, which is where I, I studied, uh, and uh, the lecturer Andrew Cameron, for the first time ever, used the word singleness 
and eschatology, that is thinking about the end times, thinking about the new creation in the same sentence. And it was, I look back now, it was like one of those moments where someone just needed to draw a little light bulb above my head and put like a ding sound effect on because suddenly I thought, oh my gosh, there's something here about singleness that I haven't heard of, thought about, encountered before. And that just got me excited because I thought there's some threads to pull on here. But the other part of this was I finished my four years study at Moore College. I went and started working in women's ministry at a church here in Sydney. I was ordained as a deacon in the Anglican Diocese here. And a lot of my time was spent with other single women in my church, ministering to them, discipling them, hearing them, speaking to them. And I just became more and more convinced uh, there's more here than, you know, we've actually grappled with as a church. I wasn't sure what that more was. I thought that it had something to do with thinking about the new creation, thinking about the resurrection life. But I wanted to write a book on this and I realised I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I need to actually go work out what I'm talking about. And a number of people convinced me that was a PhD. Um, And so this book, The Meaning of Singleness, was actually the whole point of doing a PhD, Yeah, which is very bizarre, but, you know, that's what it was. Wonderful. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think having uh, looked at the book, it's fair to say you, you do now know what you are talking about. I wonder if I can just take you back. You mentioned that sort of expectation or almost presumption that that you would get married and I Mm. wonder where that came from was that what you've been taught in church or in youth group was that just because that's what everybody did which yeah I think probably both of those things uh as I think back now I mean my memory is never great at the best of times but I can't remember a an unmarried woman in the church I grew up with who had any sort of profile significant enough for me to remember her. Um, I don't remember uh, an unmarried woman actually being involved in my discipleship in a key way. Um, Yeah. And that combined with the general sort of evangelical world of getting married and having children is a way to honour God. It's a way to grow, to be more like Jesus. I think there was just a lack of intentional consideration that singleness actually might be not just a good reality but even just a legitimate reality um that might have changed a little bit you know since my since then but not not a huge amount I don't think no and I think um even where that's not made explicit within the church because we also live in a secular world where if not necessarily marriage certainly being in a relationship is held up as the thing which we all want more than anything in life it's very easy to also bring those attitudes into our church life where we're told well obviously that must be marriage and and therefore and I have a a similar sort of thing I never particularly well I never wanted children ever and I didn't have strong feelings about marriage until I became a Christian and and saw maybe the Lord was calling me to some kind of ministry but the only women who I could really see who were doing the sort of thing that I thought I might be talking were vicar's wives. So it wasn't ever mm. really about I want to get married. I just thought, well, I want to marry a vicar because then I'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Anyway, that didn't last. And then, uh, you know, 
that that wasn't yeah. clearly what the Lord wanted for me. But I do think that sort of modelling of not having single women in whatever context, not necessarily in full-time ministry, but just as somebody who is serving mm. in the church or who's honoured in the church, you could look up to as a, a sort of model for what life might be like. Mm. It, it's hard to find those people, I think. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I do... I must say when I sort of hit my 20s and then started exploring ministry myself, then I was able to see some examples of, of mature, Christian, thoughtful women. And I now have, you know, those women that I looked up to as spiritual mentors are now my friends. Um, and so there, I think, at least in Sydney, there is quite a a large number actually of single Christian women who have been theologically trained, who are involved in pastoral ministry in particular, yeah. But um it's you know it's it's still nowhere near where we would like it to be in terms of actually understanding well hang on not just oh look we've got these women who have a lot more time and flexibility to do stuff but what is actually the purpose of their right. singleness what's unique and wonderful and good about their singleness and our single male friends as well. Absolutely. And and I don't mean to say that there aren't those women in the UK and I'm no. sure there are and there were but you know they just weren't there in in wasn't my visible. Life, yeah. Times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that also brings us on to what I wanted to ask you about next is some of the, the pastoral problems associated mm. with the way that singleness, if it is talked about and taught about in churches, is talked mm. about and taught about. So very much that 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to be single because then you can be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. And what we're told is it's wonderful if you're a single person because you can then give all your free time to the church and you can then do everything that, you know, married people just don't have time for. Mm. What are the problems if that's the sort of message we get in, mm. in churches as single people? Well, I think there's a number of problems there. One of which is it's just, I think it's, um, oh, I'll, I'll use the word. I think it's a, a fairly ignorant understanding of the single life that, you know, we, yes, there is a degree to which we have more flexibility um, and I, I don't want to undermine that in any way, but also being single brings its own challenges and complexities. Being, you know, the person responsible for all of the decisions, everything in your household, paying all the bills, cooking all the meals, all of those sorts of things, particularly if you live alone, there are complexities to being single that actually I don't think we recognize at times. And so just because, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 29 to 35, where Paul talks about undivided devotion, he's not necessarily saying that you have lots and lots more time to be undivided in your devotion. He's actually talking about the reality of the situation you're in where you don't have other relational needs to the same degree as a husband and children calling upon your relational capacity. Um, yeah. as much as anything else. And so there's a sense in which I think this assumption that single people just have endless amounts of time and endless amounts of money, um, you know, that's another thing. Financial survival as a single person can be very difficult and very stressful. You know, we have never had the benefit of a period of years that a lot of married couples have had of double income earning that sort of sets you up for your late 20s, early 30s and family life. Uh, there's all sorts of financial complexities too. So there's that. But 
what I one of the things that I I talk about in my book is that that view, if that's all we've got to say that is good about singleness is that you have more time and energy. That is an incredibly instrumental view of singleness. And by that, I mean, it just is saying the single life is good. So insofar as you live the good single life, if you're not giving your time and energy and money to ministry, the way people expect you to, then people kind of think, well, what's good about your singleness? Uh, And that can be soul destroying. That can be crushing for the single Christian who's desperately actually trying to identify something inherently intrinsically good to the situation God has called them to this stage. Um, It's different to the way we think about marriage. You know, we, we, we look at marriage and we say marriage is really hard and really complex as real, as well as it can be really wonderful. But we say that marriage itself, our understanding of what marriage is always remains good because God has made it good. Our messy experiences of it doesn't change the fact that marriage itself is always good. But singleness, we say, well, if you're not content, if you're not enjoying it, if you're struggling with sexual temptation, if you're not using your time wisely, your singleness isn't good. So go and get yourself married, which has all sorts of complications um, for people. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things you see in the book that I just find really fascinating is so many examples, which I'd like to say are extreme, but I don't even know if they are because there are so many of them, of of how pastors talk about marriage and singleness. And and there was one in particular, I can't remember who it was, but but talked about it as a command. And I'm like, yeah. Mom, it's Bible to get married. Yeah. No, and and so many of them he seemed to forget. There's one he talks about the best way we can live like Jesus is to get married. And I'm like, what? The best way to live like Jesus, who lived a single, celibate, most godly life that has ever been lived, is for us to, to get married. It's I know, quite, I know. It's quite bizarre, isn't it? The way that it is, it is. Taught themselves into this sort of mindset that they assume is biblical, that as far as I can see, has no link to scripture at all. Yeah, and even last night on Twitter, someone tagged me in a post saying, what do you think of this? And it was it was someone, an evangelical thought leader um, in neither of our countries, uh, who, you know, was talking about the biblical norm is marriage. So as if the language, the Bible uses the language of norms, it doesn't, but the biblical norm is marriage and not just marriage, but getting married young, you know, having children young, that is how you live the full human flourishing life. And they were presenting this as if it was just a given biblical truth that everybody agreed with without any sort of argumentation behind that. And I'm really keen to engage, all right, bring me your arguments, help me to see where you get that from so we can engage at that point. But so much of it across the board is not actually biblically argued. It's just assumed. And I think we actually are at a time and a place where we need to challenge some of those assumptions uh, by taking people back to scripture and saying, all right, help me to see where you're getting this from in God's word. Um, Show me the truth of this and the goodness of this from scripture, because that's the way you'll win me over, not just asserting these truths at me. Totally. I mean, one of the things that that I think you see quite a lot of scripture is people having babies very old, in fact, you know, (laughs) 
that that seems to be a thing that God likes to just you know throw into that mix. It's true. Not, not... Church Society is delighted to be partnering with the new Bishop of Ebbsfleet, Rob Monroe, in a series of regional conferences in May and June this year. On five dates and in different locations, all of which you'll find the details for on our website, churchsociety.org, we'll be meeting with ministers, church wardens, PCC members and others to hear from Rob about his role and the state of mutual flourishing for complementarians within the Church of England, but also we'll be spending time thinking about living in love and faith and how we can be best contending together to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith at this difficult time. Please do join us. You'll find all the information about how you can book on our website. And if you have any questions, please do contact the Church Society office for more information. One of the things I love about the book is the way you do this kind of myth-busting about singleness. So that sort of thing in terms of, well, you're just making that up rather than getting that from the Bible. But one of the things I was really fascinated about was the line that we hear so often was that in sort of pre-modern communities or you know pre-enlightenment communities or, or even pre-birth control communities, everybody basically was married and that to be mm. single was this kind of weird, unusual, anomalous kind of thing. And yet you have statistics of, you know, 20%, 25%, at different times, different one in five, one in four. Mm-hmm. Like singleness was always actually a relatively normal thing. You you you'd know people, one in five yeah. people. You'd have people in your family who were single. Where has this myth come from that that to be single is a really new twentieth, twenty first century phenomenon? I think there's probably a few a few things behind. Uh, one of them is that we live at a time where we think we're at sort of the vanguard of understanding life as it's meant to be understood. Um, so C.S. Lewis has this great term where he, he talks about chronological snobbery, how we sort of occupy our position and look back in the past and go, oh, those poor unenlightened people, they, they didn't realise. And I think there's a sense in which we think our moment is the way if not, it's always it always has been, then it's actually the way it was always meant to be. And so there's a sense in which that's at work there. Uh, I think the, from the Christian perspective, the Reformation was fundamental in transforming the way that we actually thought about the place of not being married in the Christian life. And there's sort of been 500 years of the engine room there churning alongside various sociological and cultural and historical developments at the same time. Um, I, I, I do think from a Christian perspective, that's got a lot to do with why we think singleness just didn't exist, you know, until the 20th century when the world went crazy and the sexual revolution happened. And I think in terms of our most recent memory, that is very key. The, the last half of last century was so revolutionary in terms of Christendom kind of losing its grip 
on this world that we inhabited. And hang on a second, people are doing things differently, thinking things differently. The sexual revolution happened, you know, contraception became so readily available. We get the introduction of no-fault divorce. And so these things that are Christians are rightly going, well, hang on a second, we want to value family, we want to value marriage, became kind of the fundamental cultural issue that Christians felt they needed to protect. This is where we need to put all of our energy. And so singleness became for many evangelicals the opposite of that. And so one of the one uh, US evangelical leader I, I quote from a conference in 2016, he talks about singleness being an assault on marriage. You know, the most devastating attack today on marriage is coming from singleness. And that's because the view of singleness at that point is this self-centered, me, me, me lifestyle, uh, whereas marriage and family is all about serving others. It's all about being outward looking. And we've bought into this very binary dichotomy as Christians where we see singleness as kind of this life of spiritual immaturity and self-serving sinfulness. Um, marriage is the antidote to that in so many ways in people's minds. And so that means that we kind of think, well, singleness has never been legitimate. It's never actually been something that has a real place in the community. And also as evangelicals and Protestants, we look back at institutional celibacy in the Catholic church through many, 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 many centuries and go, oh no, we've got big problems there. And so singleness sort of gets marred by association in that sense as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think particularly then when we look further back um, into the sort of early church history where and, and medieval church history where celibacy and, and singleness were highly prized and celebrated in some ways. And particularly for women, I always think there was a huge thing we lost at the Reformation in terms of women's ministry and values in the church, which used to exist. Mm. Um, if you were in a convent, if you were, you know, serving in, a, in an order in that sort of way, there were women who were incredibly educated, who had great leadership skills, who were evangelists, who did all these kind of things, and were free mm. to do that within that, that sort of single celibate sphere of life that then gets, you know, uh, undermined in the Reformation, mm. disappears in that sort of way. And you're left with, well, what can you do as a woman in ministry where you can marry a bit? Okay, yeah, I want to move yeah. on to a more positive thing at this point. Having talked about Okay, it, let's do it. So we, <laughs> we got wrong and misunderstood <laughs> and forgotten about and so on. You talk, I think it might even be the subtitle of your book about the eschatological meaning of singleness. So mm -hmm. eschatological, we're talking about the future, the end times, the, the sort of eternal perspective the, the goal mm. of our um well the god's goal in creation and the goal of our christian faith in eternity mm. how does singleness relate to our understanding of of that because often we're told that's marriage aren't we and there's a sense in which mm. it is marriage that's when we're gonna you know the the heavenly bride uh yep. will meet with christ and there'll be the consummation of that marriage so why singleness and eschatology I think that is the exact right segue into that question in that, okay, so marriage is eschatologically significant. We, you know, Ephesians chapter five, uh, we see that marriage, human marriage is actually a profound mystery 
that points towards this incredibly wonderful ultimate thing, which is the the heavenly marriage we see in Revelation between Jesus the groom and his bride, the church. Uh, And so earthly marriage is just this wonderful, beautiful thing that we must value, um, not just for the the good purposes of marriage in this creation, but because of what it teaches us about the creation to come. It, It ought to be giving us, as I look at my married friends' lives and relationships, I ought to be feeling a sense of anticipation of the ultimate marriage that's to come, even as I don't share in a marriage in this life. But the thing is that in eternity, we will be married together as the church. None of us are individually married to Jesus. That's not what's on view here. We as the church are the bride, which raises the question of, well, hang on a second. What about me as Danny? What about you as Roz? You know, uh, what about my married friends? What's that? And that's precisely where there's another very key passage in scripture that we don't often think about that has very significant eschatological meaning, which is in uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, the Sadducees come to Jesus. uh, They're trying to trip him up on the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. So they're trying to get him to admit this whole resurrection thing he's been going on about is just a bunch of baloney. And they do that by this ridiculous riddle, which is actually based in Jewish um, sort of folklore and even Old Testament law, actually of a, a, a woman who marries, her her husband dies, she doesn't have children. And so she marries his brother, he dies, they don't have children. She marries seven brothers in a row. And Sadducees say to Jesus, which of the brothers is she going to be married in in the resurrection? And that the hook there is, ha ha, the resurrection isn't going to happen. And this disproves, you know, this proves the resurrection. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you're wrong. <laughs> um, and he says, they're wrong because They don't understand the power of God or the scriptures. And he says, in the resurrection age, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they'll be like the angels. This is Jesus Christ, the one who knows what the resurrection age is going to be like, telling us that in eternity, none of us are going to be husbands and wives. It's not just that there's no new marriages because then the Sadducees riddle would still stand. Which of the husbands would she be married to? Jesus is saying, she's not going to be married to any of them because none of us are going to be husbands and wives in eternity, which means that our character, our personal relationships as the the church, the bride of Christ amongst each other is going to be about being brothers and sisters who are unmarried, who are sexually celibate and like the angels in that sense, rather than being husbands and wives. And so that actually means if if we're not going to be married and we're going to be sexually abstinent for eternity and it's going to be awesome, that actually should have some significance for how we think about the unmarried life now um, because we, we're not just living now as if that time is coming and it'll come when it comes and it doesn't have any impact on us now. No, no, we're already, new, we're already citizens of that new creation living in this creation. We're in this very awkward meanwhile time uh, where we live in this creation in light of the new creation. And so as we look at what the fact that none of us are going to be married to each other in eternity ought to actually have implications for how we think about not being married on earth now. And I think that then we get to tease out, and this is what my book is trying to do, tease out the implications of that for single Christians in their own personal lives and in the community of the church as we wait for that new creation to come. So um, you use that description of this sort of awkward time. 
uh, quite mm. often. And I really love it. I think, you know, we often think of it as the now and the not yet. And actually that, you know, it is awkward. There are things about now which, which are going to be forever. And there are things about forever that we don't yet have. And that sort of awkward relationship, I kind of love it. Um, yeah. I, and I, I really like, you make the, the point that if you're married now, there is a sense, as you say, with where that has an eschatological meaning. Mm. It, it shows us something of what that eternal marriage will be like. Mm. But it is only in the sense of being the type or the shadow. It's the model, mm. but it's not the reality of what that marriage will be like. But mm. actually, our singleness now is not the type or shadow of what's to come. It is a, a reality. Um, yeah. You know, not precise one-on-one. -on -one. There are things that will be different about yeah. that. We won't be sinners for a start and, and we won't have sexual temptations in that sort of way. But actually there is something about your life now and my life now which is contiguous with what our lives will be like in the new creation. Yeah. That is quite extraordinary. I had never thought about it in those yeah, days before. I had to um I spent some time really thinking about that because I didn't want to didn't want to go too far. I didn't want to say things that, you know, actually scripture would not allow us to say. So I'm a little I, I, I tried to be a little bit tentative about it. But at the same time I think there is a there is a truth to it that earthly marriage now is a, a foreshadow of something better and greater that is not the same thing human marriage now is not the same thing as the marriage between Christ and the church but it, it foreshadows it it points towards it but the unmarried life now within the church is a kind of foretaste of the unmarried life for eternity within the church as you said it's not going to be identical because well, first of all we're not going to be sinners anymore we're going to be perfected we're going to perfectly know each other we're going to be perfectly known we will love fully and that will mean that my you know quote unquote singleness in heaven is going to look very different in lots of ways to my singleness now but because I don't and you don't relate to anybody any other man as our husband in this creation all of our you know male relationships are as brothers all of our female relationships are as sisters that is actually the picture we get of what eternity is going to be like and so there is a sense in which there it's a limited and a contingent but still an actual foretaste in the way that I don't think that we could say earthly marriage is a foretaste of the heavenly marriage it, it right. just wonderfully foreshadows the heavenly marriage right and I think it's helpful, isn't it, to have that language of the brothers and sisters, because that points us immediately to think about, well, that's what church is. You know, that's how mm. Christians are described. We are brothers and sisters. And so even if for them, but, you know, those four married people among us who don't get to have this foretaste in their lives, actually <laughs> being part of the church family, where yeah. they have those relationships they with are. brothers and sisters who are not their wives or, or husbands, they, they are experiencing that. Some yeah, you're right. Because at that point, actually, the real foretaste is the church. It's life within the body of Christ. That's what the genuine foretaste is and that will carry over. It's just that the single Christian's life is actually more fully and comprehensively representative of what all of our lives will be like within the church. Um, you know, 
husbands and wives, when they come to church, it's not like they just stop being husbands and wives as they're at church now, even as their primary relationship is brother and sister in Christ. And so I think you're right that it's the church that's the actual foretaste. It's just that single Christians occupy a particularly, I guess, privileged place in that sense within the church now as we kind of, you know, point towards what the church is going to be like for eternity. Yeah, I I agree. And yet, for many single people, it does not feel like they occupy no. a privileged place in the church. No. In the current situation in the Church of England, it is increasingly important for churches to be able to clearly identify themselves as faithful to the Bible, faithful to historic Anglican teaching and faithful on the pressing issues of today, including, of course, matters of gender and sexuality. We hope that identifying as a church society partner church will be an easy way for churches to make that public commitment and to know that they are part of a wider fellowship of churches around the country. Partner churches commit to praying for church society and making a financial donation towards our work. They will have access to a dedicated section of the website full of resources for churches to use and will be able to call on church society staff for advice and support. More information about becoming a partner church is available on our website and by contacting the office. We hope that you will join us in our work of contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. So I wonder no. if you could just help us think about some of the, the pastoral implications of this. For the person who's never married, which is what we've mostly mm. talked about, but I want to talk about some other kinds mm-hmm. of, of singleness as well. But, but let's start with that. For the person who's never been married, what are some of the, the outworkings of this theological understanding of singleness that, mm. that ought to make our churches better at, at representing this reality? Mm. Well, I mean, there's uh, the last kind of sort of two chapters of the book are really trying to pull on those threads in quite theological ways. So I explore, okay, what does this mean about friendship? How does this change our view of sexuality? Um, how does it actually help us to see what it is to be disciples and, and the sort of cruciform life of discipleship and particular ways that singles have unique privileges, I think, in a theological sense that then need to be translated into the pastoral reality in the church. So I'll let people go and read the book to kind of explore those things. But what I think it means on the ground in the church is, first of all, we have to do the theological work because if we're just going to sort of slap band-aids across gaping wounds it doesn't change it doesn't heal anything it makes things better for a moment but it actually doesn't change the long-term reality of what's going on and so uh, to love and understand and actually see singles as genuinely having a place of belonging in the church we have to be willing to align our theological vision of singleness with God's vision for it with God's teaching of it if we're not going to do that then I'm afraid that we're not going to be making lasting impact But that is also true for the single Christian. That's true for me and for you and our single brothers and sisters, that it is, it's very, you know, there is, 
there is a right grief to be felt about not having received the good gift of marriage because marriage truly is good for all sorts of reasons. And so there's that grief can be legitimate. Not everybody feels that grief and not everybody feels it to the same extent. And certainly not everybody feels it all the way through their life in the same ways, but it's a legitimate mourning and a legitimate sense of loss. Um, so we need to we need to recognize the place that that has. But as single Christians, I want to encourage us to not allow ourselves to feel like that grief defines actually what God intends for our singleness. Um, you know, singleness isn't a tragedy. It it actually, in God's perspective, has significance and dignity and value. And so the challenge for us is to align our feelings about singleness with actually God's picture of it for us. And that's a lifelong thing. And I'm sure for me myself, there's ups and downs in what that looks like. But we we can't allow, particularly those of us who have never been married, who would long to be married, we ought, we we must not allow our discontentment to control us. We must work out and we have to help each other and not just singles, but marrieds as well, help each other to think, what does it look like to live in the midst of longing for something different while being content where God's placed me, leaving that, that door open for hope while knowing that it, it may not happen on this side of eternity. And actually, I think that is just the Christian life, married or single, we're fallen people living in a fallen world uh, and we're constantly having to hold on to the confidence and the hope and the promises of the gospel in the midst of the awfulness of waiting for that last day to finally come in so many ways. And the older I get, the more I realise it's just always true. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, long-term listeners will know that uh, every conversation uh, is likely to turn to the song of songs. And we're not going to talk about it in great detail, <laughs> but I, I do think uh, I really want to write, having read your work, uh, a theology of singleness in the song of songs, because actually oh, one of the things I think... Please do. One of the things I think it shows is that actually singleness is the model for the Christian life now. Actually, we're all in that life of not being in that fully consummated relationship with the ultimate wedding, and that's hard and difficult and dangerous and we need to be faithful even as we are longing and yearning uh for all of that so anyway please no 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 i'm going to say you need to write that i'm saying to everyone who's listening now please hound Roz to write this book <laughs> or this very long article or whatever it is because actually i think song of songs is a is a part of scripture that we have to grapple with as single christians and so please go ahead I want, and it's I'm, been one I'm demanding that you write it it has been <laughs> one of the most encouraging things for me to read as a single person. So I, anyway. Great. Um, one of the things you talk about, actually, because obviously this is particularly pertinent in the discussions we are having in the Church of England at the moment. Mm. Uh, one of the great things that people are using as an argument uh, towards blessing same-sex relationships and, you know, some wanting to move towards same-sex marriage and so on is that celibacy just you know not having sex is is just too difficult a thing to ask of people yeah. and um you know to not be sexually fulfilled is tantamount to abuse some people would even say and so on. and i just really love the way you talk about what the actual cost of celibacy is um that it is 
uh, it is related to the instruction we're told to take up our cross and to deny ourselves and to follow him. But what is it that we're actually being called to give up there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is something that I is a little bit of a hobby horse for me at the moment because I'm seeing Christians um in like like-minded Christians, my my dear friends, um, and I'm sure I've done it myself, talk about singleness and 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 you know, in terms of work using the word celibacy, I'm just meaning celibacy as the unmarried, sexually faithful, unmarried life, rather than some sort of committed, lifelong vowed context. It can be that, but it's not only that. Um there's a tendency for us to talk about that in the language of sacrifice. Look at the great sacrifice that Danny is making in her singleness. Now, the assumption there was a number of assumptions. One of them is that I'm actually to that I'm I'm missing out on something fundamental to my personhood by not having sex. And frankly, we have made our own bed here as Christians. This is traces right back to the Reformation. We've made this bed and we need to now unmake it or lie in it one way. We've this is we've created this as much as the world around us. So let me put that on the table. But the other problem with this is, is not just what are you saying about my humanity, that actually to not have sex means I'm not fully myself, what's going on there. But actually, when you use that language of sacrifice for, for my sexual faithfulness, what you're actually, and not you, but what we are saying is that to not commit sexual immorality is sacrificial. And everything inside me goes, no, you know, yes, Romans 12 talks about offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God as our spiritual act of worship. But I am not losing out on anything good. I'm not sacrificing anything noble or heroic by not going and having sex with a man I'm not married to. That is not good for me. It is not good for him. And it doesn't glorify God. And so that I'm very uncomfortable with us using the language of sacrifice for what is actually faithful Christian obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that that is not something to be celebrated. Let's honour each other's faithful Christian obedience. But talking about it as sacrifice just buys into the world's view of sex as kind of the thing that makes life worth living, that makes me human. The thing that, that I'm giving up by not having that kind of sexual, sexually active life now, is sin. Yeah. You know, actually, sin is not good for me. Sin is not good in any way at all. So no. it's not that I'm giving up something that would be good and great and enrich my life and whatever. I'm giving up sin, which would actually make my life worse in, in every kind of yeah. way. Yeah. So obviously. I that. It it might feel like we're sacrificing because that's what the world and in fact the church currently is telling us by and large that we are missing out on this really not just good thing but essential thing. It might feel that way, but actually when we turn to God's word, we see it's that's actually that's a lie that we we're buying into at that point. Exactly. Um. So I just briefly want to touch on the the kind of other kinds of single people uh, mm-hmm. that may be in our churches, and I, you know. I started off thinking about what about the single parent, you know, the person who whatever has circumstances have led to this, you know, is in church with half a dozen children and maybe one of them has special needs. And mm. that is someone who is not going to be helped by a message of 
Well, isn't it wonderful being single because you can be wholeheartedly devoted <laughs> to the Lord and give us all your time. Look you? at all the time you have. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So actually, how how does this sort of better, fuller understanding of singleness speak into the circumstances of somebody in those sorts of situations? Because it, it takes singleness from that instrumental view of it's only good if you do good stuff with it and actually shows that actually no singleness itself is inherently theologically meaningful. There, there is God has embedded within it this, this foretaste of heaven. And so as, as we um, look at that, uh, that single mum with six kids, we should be able to see, again, just like they, you know, we look at each other, that foretaste. It's, it's lived out in a very different circumstance to me, just as it is for the divorced Christian or the widowed Christian. Um, but it means that the meaning of our singleness is not dependent on my personal experience of it. It's actually deeply embedded in the situation of being unmarried. And then it's each of our wonderful privilege and opportunity to demonstrate and express that meaning in the different single situations that we're placed in at different ages and stages, different genders, even there's different kind of nuances there. Um, so yes, it, it's the meaning remains the same, uh, but the expression of it, the, the, the embracing of it and the celebration of it, I think is colored by the different contexts in which we live that out. Exactly. And I think then for, for all of us, whatever our circumstances are as single people, that encouragement to say you can have these wonderfully fulfilling friendships that are with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And those are the things that, that um, you know, will persist in that sort of way as that foretaste. But also, and we haven't touched on this and we won't because it's almost time for us to finish, but, you know, the, there are relationships within the church that are supposed to be like that of a mother and a, and a father, or a grandparent and so on. And, you know, and I, I just look around my church and I see those relationships happening. You know, the widow mm. who is like the granny to so many of our, our younger children or the, the older folks who are acting like spiritual mothers and fathers to young parents or to young single people and, and all of those relationships. And actually, by saying those are the relationships that we really value and, and we really are blessed to have, then it then it de it, it takes that sort of marriage relationship out of the place that says this is the only one that matters. Um yeah. and it doesn't say that doesn't matter, but it, no. it just means all of us are part of that network of, of family relationships which really matter. Um yeah, absolutely eternal significance. Um yeah. whatever your other step. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. Well, on that note, um, thank you so much, Danny, for, for talking to us. It's just been um, absolutely eye-opening for me and, and I hope for many others, and I hope it will be an encouragement uh, to people if you've been interested in the kind of things we've been talking about, uh, to go and read uh, Danny's book and, um, and just to think differently about yourself um, and, and those people you know who are not married at different stages of their lives in different contexts and just thank God for the blessing that that is mm. um, and what we can learn uh, now in this life about the life to come from people yeah. who like the Lord Jesus live single and separate. Absolutely.
that's spot on. The whole, the last chapter of the book is called Continuing the Conversation because that's the whole point of the book is actually just get us talking with each other about this. So um, if that's what the fruit of the book is, then, you know, goal achieved on my end. Wonderful. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.